Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community, brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media, and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I'm your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. I like the way you say your name. You sometimes you like you own it in a way that I'm like, yeah, you are, Amy Board. Really? Yeah, for real. I've never felt comfortable saying it. I've always felt weird. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. Mm. All right, more to unpack there. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Because we got a lot to talk <laughs> we about have so on today's much. show. Oh on my God. today's show, we have Maya Bloomberg once again with her new segment. This time focused on the history of hemophilia, as it is, after all, World Hemophilia Day, yes. April seventeenth. So if you're listening in real time, Monday is World Hemophilia Day. Maya Bloomberg helps set the stage. We also have Dr. Mike Z, which I'm going to go for it, but I'll probably screw it up. Dr. Mike Zolotanitsky. Oh, maybe I got it. I don't know. Mike, how did I do? (laughs) He joins to talk about his physical therapy work that he's been doing in the hemophilia community for years, which involves this really special magic tape that I finally have a little bit of understanding about. You'll learn more about it shortly. (laughs) Yes. And we have some new music from community member Tamar Mitchell. I love Tamar. He's amazing. He's been on the show before, if you've been listening for a while. And it's a new segment. We've been talking about it for a minute. Let by Bloodstream's James Maple. That debuts today. You're getting all of that and more on this World Hemophilia Day episode of the Bloodstream podcast. Welcome to Bloodstream. Hey, listeners, as always, thank you for joining us here on Bloodstream. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast and follow Bloodstream Media on social media. You know how it works by now. Listeners, I also do want to remind you that the Bloodstream podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes. That's right. Takeda. Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. Which that's going to come up later. So just put a pin in that. And they are dedicated more than ever. Just wait. Just wait. To offer a wide (laughs) range of support and assistance to help patients throughout their treatment journey. Wherever on that journey they may be, mm-hmm. you can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. That's all you have to do. One more time, though, I doubt you need it, bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream podcast, of course, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thank you, Takeda. Loaded episode, Amy Borg. Loaded. World Hemophilia Day comes around once a year. It's always a little funny because it's right after Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. So there's always a little bit of like, wait, didn't we just do a lot of this for 30 days? Yes. But this is a different day. This is a global day of recognition. It goes back to the founding chair of the World Federation of Hemophilia's birthday, yada, yada, yada. But what is the significance of the day? I think, I think it can, there's a lot of ways to look at that. But for you, when you think of World Hemophilia Day, what comes to mind? Well, I think this year in particular, uh, it's kind of a rallying cry. Um, the theme for this year year um, coming out of WFH is access for all prevention of bleeds as the global standard of care. Mm. And I, you know, it's building on what they've done for the last couple of years. But as we have um, felt the paradigm shift here in the States, in the UK, um, in other developed countries of treatment, of treatment, you know, I think we have had a lot of conversations, especially on this podcast, about what it means for us. But I also believe that there is a um, a, a very connected, well-educated group of people that are really thinking about how those treatments are going to affect um, the rest of the world globally. And I think it's provocative to say mm. that the standard of care, not only here in the U.S. in the U.K., should be the prevention of bleeds, but mm-hmm. the standard of care should be that for everyone who has hemophilia 
Australia globally. And I think some of these new treatments that are coming out, we have the luxury here um, to say what works for our lifestyle. But I think some people, I think led by Dr. Glenn Pierce, who is one of mm-hmm. my absolute uh, favorite people, my heroes, is really thinking about how these treatments, how can we get these treatments into the hands that actually need them um, globally. And so um, this this year um, for World Hemophilia Day, that is what is on my mind. And um, I think it's a rallying cry. It's not just an awareness day anymore. It's a rallying cry this year. And um, here, here. Here, here. I love that. Um, what does it mean to you? As I as I pontificated. <laughs> I mean, you did really well. <laughs> I, what, what am I supposed to add? Oh, World Hemophilia Day. I think you, you you did say it very well. There's a there's a shift going on, and this this year we need to just remember that as that shift is going on, we need to be thinking about. To quote Dr. Glenn Pierce, not just the 15% of the world in high-income countries that can afford the latest and greatest treatments the moment they're available, but the rest of the 85% of the world that isn't prioritized when we are thinking about biotech development from a financial point of view, which arguably is the sustainable way. But that's why this is a complicated thing. So I appreciate everything you said, and I will add to it. We have, um, again, if you're listening in real time, actually today. Our uh, chief operating officer, Rob Bradford, who is also the producer and uh, director cinematographer on Mount Everest for Bombardier Blood, is en route to Nepal, where he will meet up with Chris Bombardier and people from Save One Life for an extremely special World Hemophilia Day screening of Bombardier Blood for the Nepal community with Save One Life and believe through Rob will have a presence there as well. Um, and there's some other stuff Save One Life is doing to help bring more awareness, do some fundraising, and actually bring some folks uh, to Mount Everest. They're doing a trek to base camp this year, which is extraordinary. So that's what's on my mind, that we, uh, from a Bombardier Blood perspective, this yeah. film that really was about capturing a historic moment in time, but doing so with a global perspective yeah. in mind, is now kind of finally closing the loop on its journey from my point of view. Uh, we had a great screening a couple of weeks ago in Puerto Rico. Chris and I participated in a virtual talk back in QA, which was amazing. Um, and they will continue. These are going on. They have been for years. But to bring it back to, to Nepal, Nepal. And and it it hasn't screened it in Nepal. It hasn't screened in Nepal yet. Yeah, it's really and so special. six years later, yeah. <laughs> things take time. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's on my mind. I'm I'm really happy to, that that's happening and I'm I'm anticipating the stories and the photos yeah. and the anecdotes coming out of that screening and, and just and looking we'll forward to that. We'll share some of those, won't we? As Bloodstream Media and, and Believe will share. So listeners keep um keep updated and we'll we'll share some of those things that come out of Rob and of course uh, Chris with Save and Life. It was exciting. It is exciting. So let's now move over to Maya Bloomberg to hear what she has to say about World Hemophilia Day from the perspective of hemophilia's very interesting history. Over to you, Maya. We have come a long way when it comes to hemophilia and definitely for the better. The term hemophilia was first used in 1828 and at that point it basically was a death sentence. Prophylaxis was introduced in 1958 and it helped prevent those serious and life-threatening bleeding episodes. Now, when it comes to hemophilia, you can either treat with prophylaxis or on-demand. On-demand is when you just treat retroactively when you're having a bleeding episode, while prophylaxis is when you're giving regularly scheduled medication in order to maintain your factor levels to either prevent or reduce the frequency of bleeds. 
1968 is when we got our first plasma-derived factor eight product called hemophil, but at this time we didn't understand how viruses were passed on through blood and didn't have the appropriate screening mechanisms that we have in place currently for blood products. This ultimately led to the bad blood era in the 1980s, where the first hemophilia patient was diagnosed with AIDS in 1982. 90% of men with severe hemophilia contracted HIV. This also doesn't include the people who contracted hepatitis B and hepatitis C from contaminated blood products. And up to 10,000 men with hemophilia died in the United States as a result. People basically had to make the decision, was it worth treating a bleed and taking a risk of using possibly contaminated product that could have hepatitis or HIV? Many decided it wasn't worth the risk and as a result, they had repeated joint bleeds that went untreated and now are living with severe joint disease and chronic pain. The bad blood era ultimately led to the production of recombinant products, which were first introduced in the 90s. We then had the introduction of extended half-life products in the 2000s, and we haven't seen any viral transmission in these recombinant products. Despite all the options in factor replacement therapy, people are still having bleeds and developing joint disease, and there's still a significant treatment burden with the frequency of infusions and venous access issues, which is why we're seeing so many novel therapies being created. Let's do a real fast hemophilia 101. Hemophilia is the result of a factor deficiency, which ultimately leads to a thrombin deficiency. And as a result, we don't produce what's necessary to stabilize the blood clot and we get bleeding issues. Novel therapies ultimately lead to thrombin generation, either by mimicking how factor functions or by inhibiting our body's natural anticoagulants. And then there's gene therapy, which offers the ability to convert somebody with severe hemophilia to mild and potentially remove the need to require prophylaxis therapy and just treat for surgeries and on demand depending on their factor level. As you can see, we've definitely come a long way. We've gone from where hemophilia used to be a death sentence to now we have patients living the same life expectancy to that of the general population. And we're gonna to continue to see advancements in technology and treatment options that's gonna ultimately improve the quality of life of those living with hemophilia. That music belongs to none other than community member, former Bloodstream guest, Tamar Mitchell, who is a music artist that we have had the pleasure of connecting with recently to learn more about his music, the inspiration behind it, what it means to him. This is the first segment of this kind that we are doing, profiling various uh, musical artists in our community, diving into their music, what it means to them and what it means to the bleeding disorders community. This segment is led by none other than James Maple, who joins Amy and I in studio. Hey, James, how's it going? Hey there. How are you all? <laughs> Doing great. I'm glad we're here. Um, we've been building this for a little minute, and uh, I'm excited to hear the first segment, hear what you learned from Tamar, hear some of his music with this context, and share it with our audience. So without further ado, James... Over to you. Thank you much. So uh, if you all may or may not know, I come from uh, a decade plus of music. So music is my heart, is my life, is my everything. So uh, given the opportunity to uh, include some type of music element to the Bloodstream podcast, I happily jumped at the opportunity. And I'm so happy to uh, do this with our first guest, Tamar Mitchell, who uh, is a great, great artist. He, I would say he has a uh, a singer, rapper kind of R&B style to his music. You mm -hmm. all just heard the first track of his, of his new EP 
called Samo's Return that came out in 2023, I think just a few weeks ago, actually. Hmm. That track is called Be Mine. Um, I picked this track uh, because of the vocal range. It shows him as a great singer. And also there's a guitar riff in this that plays throughout that really grounds the music itself. Mm. So highly recommend the first track on, off of the EP Samo's Return. The second track I like is a song called Best Friends. Now, this has an excellent beat drop. And also it reminds me of being uh, in my car, top down, sunroof open, and had this like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air vibe to yes. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It just reminded yes. me of like just great a summer, summer, summer vibe. So yeah. highly recommend the second track off the EP called Best Friends. I think we're, we're, we're going to hear that one at the end of the we're segment. Is that gonna, right? We're going to hear the third, my third favorite oh. at the end of the segment. Yeah, I picked three this time. He, I, <laughs> there's quite a few on there, but I had to pick three. Um, Tamar is talented. Really. Gathering. He really, really is. Uh, the third track and the one you'll hear at the end of the segment is called Dangerous. Mm. The name alone, right? is amazing so i chose this song because of there's a there's a synth that that plays throughout the music that uh reminded me of like a, a b-side of like a 1980s sci-fi movie yeah. cool. um, it reminded me of uh back to the future for some reason yes. so i i highly highly recommend the song dangerous it has a great message to it and again that synth in the background really really uh roots the music and uh draws you in if you will very cool. Now, I know you got a chance to go back and forth with Tamar a little bit about this music. What did you learn from those those back and forths? So Tamar um, wrote this EP, and he told me that the motif of the EP is cycles, cycles of life. Mm -hmm. uh, we all go through ups and downs, lefts and rights, but we always have to rem remind ourselves that um, life is, is worth living. And he uh, put that into his music in many ways. And I love to play um, a very small snippet of an interview we did together where he kind of talks about the importance of his rare disease, hemophilia, and the cycles of life. Hemophilia has played a very large role in my creation of music. Me knowing the struggles of having a disability can be discouraging, but can also be seen as a strength. I mentioned the idea of cycles because they're seen everywhere, in nature, relationships, workspace, and financially. It's up to you, it's up to us, to realize if that cycle is a positive or a negative reflection. So what do you guys think? What do you think about that as a, as a, as a motif of life, of cycles? Well, I think there's a lot of truth in it. And I like, as he points out, cycles are part of our experience. They're found in nature. They're found, they're found in dynamics, uh, family dynamics, workplace dynamics. Um, the only constant is change, right? And I think, too, something that popped for me is you know, in flow, perhaps for obvious reasons, we talk about cycles, <laughs> right? Again, perhaps for, you know, very obvious bio, biological reasons. But I sometimes forget that, like, we all, and as a man, as a man, I go through cycles too, right? They're not connected to a menstrual thing, but we all go through cycles. But I don't always associate myself with going through cycles, and I forget that this is... I'm going to, I've been here before, I'll come out of this, and then I'll be back here again, but I, I can lose sight of that sometimes. And just now, I was like, hmm, I wonder how much that has to do with, like, my, my idea of, like, masculinity in some way, or, or, like, being a man. Maybe not, but that's just something that popped for me listening just now. What about for you? Uh, just to clarify, there's a flow podcast. Uh, flow podcast reference. <laughs> yes. yes, I missed a Straight keyword talk there. about extreme periods, hosted by Jessica Richman and... Uh, Sarah Watson, phenomenal listen if you haven't listened. Shouts out. But I, mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I think from an artistic perspective, what a fantastic place to kind of enter and to explore and sit, you know, for a while. I think he mentioned, um, you know, there's so many different cycles that we um, experience in life that could be 
you know, ever changing all at the same time. Um, relationship, even our relationship to art, relationship to our financial world. And, and also, I think, um, kind of diving into that relationship that you have with your um, hemophilia or your chronic disease, my migraines. Um, it is mm. a cycle. It's never um, stagnant. It's never... Uh, comfortable, you know, kind it's of never life. linear. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, life really is about, you know, finding that comfort within the uncomfortability of, yeah. of things. And so um, as an artist, what a phenomenal place to dive into. And hats off to Tamar. He's one of my favorite humans. He's Absolutely. Um, I, I see your point and both of your points. For, for me in particular, the idea of cycles was rooted in my mental health. I find that I go through depression every now and again. And I think that when you're in that low point of depression, it's very, very hard to yeah. like see the, the, the glimmer over the mountain. Yeah. For sure. And when he mentioned cycles, it, 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 that struck a chord to me to realize that like it's very difficult to see how you can call yourself out of that situation when you're in the it pits, the depths of right. depression. Right. But finding the strength within yourself to move forward and realize that life is worth living to keep on going and know that there will be something better for you down the line. And you know, you may not know how long it takes to get there, but it will come. And to so, learn and to remember that it is a cycle, right. you know, when you're in the depths of it to be like, this will, this will cycle out, you know, at some point, um, th- that's, that's a crucial thing. What's the other piece you wanted to highlight? So another thing I wanted to talk about, uh, regarding, uh, Tamar's, uh, EP was the idea of the connection between rare diseases and music mm. and how music can be therapeutic. So I think a good launching pad for that would be to listen to Tamar's answer for a question that I gave him, um, in the audio. So let's give it a listen right now. A huge connection I see between music and rare diseases is that it's not anything that needs teaching. As humans, we naturally feel music, and it's no different from a rare disease because it's something we're born with. I loved that answer. Mm. I yeah. love that answer because yeah. it, it, it's, it spoke to the fact that music is, is within us. And there are very few things, I think, that could exist uh, above like socioeconomic status, above race, above mm. creed, religion. And one of those things is a bit off topic is food, in my That's opinion. That's where I thought you were going, too. In I was my like, opinion. Okay, yeah. <laughs> definitely food. I'm a big foodie. Yeah. But the second thing is definitely music. For sure. Um, and I, I was, in researching this segment, I came across a small article on uh, Children's Music Fund uh, from a doctor. He's the president, he's a doctor, he's the president and founder of Children's Music Fund. And he said, For kids with rare diseases, a music therapy session could be used to calm nerves while infusing medicine. Or, and I think this is the the one of the most profound parts of this of this quote, or it could be a way to readjust to society through the common bond of music following a long layoff from school. Mm. I love that. I love that aspect of, you know, you you may have you may have to take two, three weeks off and you know you're detached from like the inner workings of school. But readjusting yourself back into school, that reassimilation with music as the vessel, mm. is was profound to me. And yeah. I think that's a great way to create communication between people uh, and, and roots itself in that thing that we all already have within us, that love, that, that, that lust to learn and grow with music. What do you guys think? You know, rhythm has always been something that I have felt is really important for me. 
having rhythm in my life, having a sense of, of routine, expectations, things I can count on. To me, that rhythm is what enables me then to, to grow. Once I have a, it's like jazz, right? Like once, once I know where I'm at, then I can deviate and I can swing over here and come back around. But if I don't feel like I have a groundedness to me, then it just feels like chaos. And I, I need that rhythm. Um, and hemophilia has disrupted that rhythm my whole life, mm. including in school. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that quote because, yeah, missing a couple of weeks mm. of school and then coming back in and being like, what are we doing right now? Like long division with fractions. This, this is hard. <laughs> right. But the things that would help me reconnect more quickly to the other students wasn't yeah. the friggin math class. Yeah. It was cultural connections. It was like something that the Knicks did in the sports world or something that happened musically. That was a moment in time and we could share. So the idea of how music can be used to help a, a child, in particular a child who's frequently missing periods of school and other social activities, reassimilate with their with their peer group, I think is very, very smart and definitely resonates with me. I, I absolutely agree. And I love that you uh, brought that. Um, I don't know. Uh, that That's fantastic. And what a great segment, James, to highlight this, to highlight some of the artists in our community, how they have um, connected or even pushed away um, some of their thoughts um, pertaining to their hemophilia or their Von Willebrand's disease or other chronic illnesses. I think that's um, really wonderful. So hats off to you, and I can't wait for the next one. Well, this will be the first of many, many more music segments to go. Um, so if you know someone who's within the community who is a musician, please reach out to us. I'd love to spotlight them, give them a little bit of airtime, and talk about the themes and motifs of their music. Check out the program notes, show description for links to Tamar Mitchell's EP. What's the name of it one more time? Samo's Return. Samo's Return by Tamar Mitchell. It's available now. Click the link in the program notes. We're going to hear one more of his songs as we transition over to Dr. Mike Z, the PT with his special magic tape. That's coming up next right after this song from Tamar. James, great job. Thanks for bringing us this segment today. Thanks so much. All right, joining me now, Dr. Mike Z, the Heme PT. Uh, that's as far as I'll take the alliteration for now. But Dr. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today on Bloodstream. Welcome. It's good to have you. Thank you so much. Good to be here. We were just saying off camera, it's been a few years. Uh, there was a period at which I felt like I saw you every two, three weeks for, I don't know, maybe a few years, actually. And then the pandemic hit, and it's been a minute. But for people who aren't familiar with your work, let's just start with a little bit of background. So... Who are you? What is it that you do exactly? And what's your relationship to the bleeding disorders community? So my name is Mike Zolotnitsky. I'm a physical therapist, also living with severe hemophilia. Um, for quite some time, I actually was not involved in the community whatsoever. My first 20 couple years, I wasn't really familiar with all of the resources up until I went to Pittsburgh and I was applying for some scholarship. And I sent an email out to one of the groups and they introduced me to the Western Pennsylvania chapter um, of hemophilia. And that is actually where I met my first hemophiliac outside of myself when I was in my early 20s. And since that time, I learned about the NHF annual meeting. So while I was still a student in my graduate degree, I went out there and I met way more individuals. Um, and then I got involved with some of the nonprofits like HFA and Coalition for Hemophilia B. I started doing some presentations of aquatic physical therapy, um, just safe exercises, pain management alternatives but more recently have really talked a lot about how to apply kinesiology tape to reduce joint pain, joint inflammation, and how to manage acute joint bleeds 
um, to prevent things like target joints. So I would say in the past seven years, I have traveled to about 35 states, still trying to hit the other 15. So for any chapter that has not utilized me, I'd love to go all over. Um, but my goal is to really educate the community of bleeding disorders, men and women, on how they can live life pain-free, how they can manage their bleeding disorder, and how exercise can be modified for absolutely everyone to live the best life possible. Outstanding. And where do you work professionally? Do you work in a clinic or where do you where do you uh, operate as a PT? So when I, gra I graduated about eight years ago and I've been in the same outpatient facility for the past eight years, we specialize in orthopedic and neurological physical therapy. So I see a lot of patients with MS, stroke, Parkinson's, but I really treat a lot of people in the community just from word of mouth. I've had patients um, come from tri-state area to see me out in Old Bridge in Marlboro, New Jersey. And that is really where I saw the success of how physical therapy can really help everybody. I've treated patients with and without inhibitors. I've treated patients with mild all the way up to severe hemophilia. And I've had a lot of patients coming in who have had surgery or have been told they need surgery, but were never really guided in the right direction and have been able to really develop individualized treatment plans and exercise programs to help patients get out of pain. And actually, some patients even avoid surgery. So there's so much to your story that we're not going to get to dig into all of it today. I want to talk to you about the tape. I want to talk to you about the role of PT in general when treating people with bleeding disorders and the things that you've noticed along the ways, maybe your top couple of takeaways that people should hear about. You just, you just, I think, maybe shared one about how sometimes with the right PT regimen, the right provider working with you, you may be able to avoid a surgery that another doctor may have said you need. So that, that feels really important and is an endorsement for physical therapy. But I want to roll the tape back and go to childhood. I'm intrigued by the fact that you did not meet another person with hemophilia until your early 20s. So you didn't grow up going to hemophilia camps, it sounds like. You didn't grow up going to patient advocacy, education weekends, family weekends, that kind of stuff. Uh, the scholarship, and frankly, that was true for me too. I went to camps for kids with different illnesses growing up. But it was when I went to college, applied for a scholarship in New York, that I really learned about the advocacy groups. and that. So I think those scholarship programs for the EDs out there, it's important. It brings people like Mike and I back into the fold uh, or into the fold for the first time. But what was it that, other than the scholarship, what was it that was your light bulb moment that, oh, I actually want to focus at least a portion of my professional energy on people like me with bleeding disorders? Yeah, so I think growing up, I, you know, I didn't really interact with too many other individual bleeding disorders because I've never met them. But, you know, I also I never went to the family camps, um, which I wish, you know, I would have attended them at a younger age. But I think it wasn't until that I met the particular individual with hemophilia and they saw, I guess, how well I was doing for somebody with severe hemophilia. At the time, I was about 25 years old and really guided me and said, you know, when you finish your doctorate degree, you should really talk to the community. And at that point, I'm like, yeah, that would be cool. Um, I didn't really even know what HFA and, or NHF were, but that is when I kind of met the right people and they got me coordinated with HFA and NHF and Coalition for Heme B. Um, I actually went to the world meeting in 2018, met a ton of other people. That's actually when I met um, Hope for Hemophilia Group. But just learning about all these different organizations and how many people we can truly help was when I said, you know, this is definitely what I want to focus on when I graduate because there's a lot of people out there that need assistance and I want to be there to, to help provide it. So let's talk about the tape because it also became commonplace for me and I would know you're at a meeting 
because I would see people walking around with blue tape around their knees, blue tape around their elbow, blue tape on a shoulder. And I was like, oh, Dr. Mike must be around. And sure enough, you would be there. But also time and time again, these same people would be like, hey, man, this thing was working. This this is cool. So what what is this tape? What's the magic? Why does it work? Can I use my tape? Do I have to buy special tape? Give, give What's what's the magic of this of this tape? Yeah. So the the first time. So I was out. It was actually for the New York City chapter. They asked me to do a presentation um, and they've seen the aquatic therapy. They've seen me do some TheraBand. So they asked me, you know, what would I be interested in doing? And I just thought, you know, why don't we show kinesiology taping? Because I saw how effective it was for the patients in our facility. Um, and after that first day, I had one of the individuals send me a message the next morning. And he said, this is the best my knees have ever felt in so many years. This is after having bilateral knee replacements. Um, the tape, it's there's nothing on it. There's no medicine on the tape. It's just applying it in a certain direction to help activate or inhibit muscle contractions to help it work better with the body. Um, it's also utilized for swelling reduction. But after he gave me that feedback, I sent an email to HFA. I kind of talked to the programs director. At that point in time, it wasn't a program. And when I put it up as a program, I started making posts on Facebook. And a lot of the chapter executives were saying, hey, this tape looks good. Let's bring it out here. Um, Coalition for Hemophilia B, there's a huge, you know, every year I go out and I do the taping for them and it's been super successful, but it's really a way for individuals to help manage their pain on their own. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of treatment centers or even physical therapists are not really familiar with the taping and how it's performed. So the patients aren't getting that to themselves, but it's worked really well. And you know, it's a presentation that I just kind of talked about one time five years ago, and it's something that, you know, I do pretty often now. So you you kind of addressed where I wanted to go next. If I were to just buy this tape, and it's called kinesiology tape, is that the name of it? Correct. Yep. KT tape, kinesiology tape. So I buy some kinesiology tape, some KT tape, and I start wrapping it around my leg, but I, I don't know what I'm doing, so that's that's not going to help. So what can someone do? Because it sounds like there's it's it's how it's applied as much as the tape itself is what I gather from what you just said. So short of being able to see you at a patient advocacy group meeting or if I lived in, you know, Jersey or the tri-state area and could could see you privately. But sh- short of that, what could someone like me who's intrigued by this do to get to a place where I'm actually I have the tape and I know how to properly apply it? Yeah. So that was a question that I was always asked. Um, so I developed a YouTube channel. That way people can access it. It's not the best of quality of videos. Um, but if you YouTube HemoDoc, my name will pop up. Um, and I have a few videos on there. We're actually working on getting more videos on um, a platform called FactorMyWay.com. Those are not up yet, but we are really trying to get a lot up on that website. But in the meantime, um, if you Google HemoDoc, I have kinesiology taping for the ankle KT tape for the shoulder, for the knee, for the back, swelling reduction. So there definitely is a strategy of how to apply it and how much force to put on if you're trying to do something for the knee, how much force it for the ankle. So, you know, there definitely is a little bit of a strategy to it. Um, but check out Hemodoc YouTube channel. And we'll have a link to that too in the program notes for ease. When you are working with patients with bleeding disorders, 
What do you often find is either a misconception or just a, an incorrect idea about physical therapy that might be, you know, worth sharing with listeners who perhaps have that same idea, you know, bouncing around in their head as a reason to not engage with physical therapy or, or as a reason that they just can't fully appreciate what it can do for them? What do you hear? What are the misconceptions that you have to break through? Yeah, so a lot of the misconceptions is that, you know, exercise or physical therapy will make the pain worse or make bleeding increase. And maybe they're going to a physical therapist that is not familiar with hemophilia or how to treat bleeding disorders, and they're being treated over aggressively. So it's really finding the balance of how do you push someone to the point where they're going to make progress and you're not going to cause more inflammation. And it's super important to find somebody who understands bleeding disorders or if they have never heard of hemophilia or von Willenbrand's disease or some other coagulation dysfunction, that they're going to look into it and understand how to treat the patient appropriately, but also making sure they're getting good physical therapy. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of PT out there where you're just kind of going on the bike getting a heat pack, doing a few stretches, and that's the end of your session. So really make sure that PT that's working with you is attentive to your exercises, making sure you're not getting more pain after the fact, um, making sure you're not confusing muscle soreness for bleeding because, you know, if someone has if someone's never worked out before and they do a set of 20 squats and the next day that both of their thighs are really sore, that's a normal response. But if one knee completely blows up and is swollen and the other leg is fine, then you know that could be something abnormal. So really just trying to reintegrate into exercise the appropriate way instead of pushing everything all at once. What is the difference between exercise and physical therapy? That's a great question. I've never had anyone ask me that question. Um, So, you know, exercise is a a portion of physical therapy. With us, you know, with myself specifically, we want to look at how the body works as a whole. With physical therapy, you know, someone comes in with knee pain, I'm going to look at the full approach. I'm going to look at their ankles. I'm going to look if one leg is longer than the other. I'm going to look at the hip mobility. You know, a lot of times people with sedentary jobs or if someone's doing something with one leg compared to the other, you create a lot of muscular imbalances. So our job as a PT Mm. is to create is to, you know, improve muscular imbalances, improve strength, improve range of motion, improve mobility. Um, We utilize a lot of manual therapy, which means that we're actually working on the body. So some of my patients have come in with 20 degrees of knee flexion instead of the 135. They've come in with self-fused ankles. Part of physical therapy is we're going to manually stretch, manually massage the muscles, break up scar tissue, um, Whereas just exercise, you're not going to get any of, you you know, you're just going to do everything on your own. You know, I'm also, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about just how do I think of physical therapy? And I think about it as something that, you know, maybe you do after surgery or maybe you do after a big injury. But as I'm thinking that, I'm like, I don't think that's correct, though, because in theory, especially living with a chronic condition like hemophilia and arthritis as a result of it, and you just referred to self-fused ankle, got one of those, what could I do if I realized, hey, I may not be coming off of a surgery or directly responding to a recent injury, but I know that my body needs help. And I know that if I just go to the gym and, and, and go to the cardio machine and you know go over to some free weights for 20 minutes, I, I don't think that's going to cut it. What can someone like me do? Like, Can I call my HTC and say, hey, I want, I want physical therapy. Can I call my doc and just request that without there being some sort of injury or incident? Or Yeah. And for me, um, growing up, I was never really given the 
you know, education of, hey, you should go see a physical therapy. Education that I received was, oh, you have pain in your ankle or your knee. You should stop playing basketball. But I was playing basketball. I thought I was really good until I stopped growing. Um, (laughs) You know, so the education should be, okay, hey, you're having difficulties or you're having limitations or you're having increased pain slash swelling when you play basketball or when you go for a walk or when you go for a hike. You should go see a physical therapist to get your ankle evaluated. Maybe go see a podiatrist. I know a lot of treatment centers are doing ultrasound guided imaging, which you know my mm-hmm. current not do. However, our sports medicine doctor on staff he's doing that. So really, you know, currently to this date, I'm trying to educate my own treatment center on, hey, I'd love for you to just let every single patient that comes in here let them know that I can do an assessment on them because for myself, I go there once a year. They look at my balance, my range of motion, my walking for about three minutes, and there's no modifications. There's no um, education. And I know some treatment centers around the world are amazing. Some don't really give the appropriate education. But anyone, you know, can – I feel like everyone should always be evaluated by a physical therapist with any type of joint issues and maintain a good exercise regimen. Um the ankle in particular, you're going to go to the gym, do squats, lunges, deadlifts. Those are working on bigger muscles like your quads and your glutes. But my ankle patients that come in, we have them take their shoe, their sock off. We're doing very small motions, stability, balance, um, mobility that they wouldn't get going to the gym. Right. And that I often overlook when I exercise, I'm not taking the time to work those tiny muscles in my ankle because that's not going to look good on vacation, right? I'm I'm doing other stuff, so that's I think your example right there is is spot on. Unless you're doing your calves, that could look good on vacation. That's true. Yeah, mind you, know, I got I got a uh, stick legs, I got chicken legs, and I, I it is what it is. But maybe I need to talk to Doctor Mike about how to change that. How how is your hemophilia health today? How how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I mean, I can honestly say for the last 15 years, I haven't really had any severe joint bleeds or joint damage. Um, Things are starting to, you know, hurt me maybe a little bit more now than before, but I just think that I am aging. But I would say overall, my health is great. I try to exercise on a daily basis at least five times a week. Uh, My job as a physical therapist, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty active. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. And that's actually the last thing I want to ask you about today is this idea of being active because you you hit the nail on the head from my experience. I think I'm a couple few years older than you, but we're in the same bracket. And I too grew up specifically wanting to play basketball and uh, other stuff, but being told, you know, no, it's not for you and you got to sit down and you, you can't be involved. I would play, I'd get hurt. But what's your perspective on activity, sports, and what people with hemophilia can truly be physically capable of now in 2023? What's your take? Yeah, I think with the medication, I mean, growing up, I wasn't on a prophylaxis regimen um, that didn't really become a thing when I was, I believe, like 10, 11 years old. When I became about 12 or 13, that's kind of when I started prophylaxis. But I think with the medications of how advanced they've become and and now that, you know, everyone's on that kind of prophylaxis regimen, you know, just making sure that you're not causing a consistent damage to a particular area sports are great you know obviously football is dangerous for everybody with and without bleeding disorders so that's always going to be a questionable thing but you know other sports it's there's always a risk or a benefit if you stay home and you play video games all day you're not going to really have good cardiovascular endurance you're not going to really build strength um 
versus if you go out and play baseball or basketball, yes, there's always a chance you're going to slip, fall, twist an ankle, maybe hurt a knee. Um, but I, I think staying active and doing something on a consist- consistent basis is key for anybody. Yeah, for social health as well as for physical health too, right? Well, uh, Dr. Mike Z, blood brother, PT, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your expertise. It's fun. I, I enjoy talking to guys who also have hemophilia and who have expertise in specific ways and the ways in which their hemophilia experience and that expertise intersect. You know, for me as someone for whom that description fits, it's uh, it's always fun. So we've never had a chance to quite do this. So in spite of knowing you for, you know, a number of years now, we've actually never even had this much concentrated time together live virtually in any format. So it's a pleasure to get to know you better, to hear more of your insights. Uh, And now I look even more forward to the next time that we're in the same place together. I'll have more specific questions, I think, to ask you particularly about my left ankle, but we'll save that for later. And again, for listeners, the link to his YouTube channel, it's in the show notes. Just one more time. Would you mind saying it for people as well? What's the YouTube channel? Hemodoc, H-E-M-O-D-O-C. Nice and simple. Hemodoc on YouTube, link in the program notes. Dr. Mike Z, appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on Bloodstream today. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Dr. Mike, thank you very much for coming on Bloodstream and sharing your expertise. And thanks as well to Tamar, Maya, James, and thanks to all who contributed to this episode. Shouts out to Keith in the booth and Japanita on the edit and everybody who makes this thing happen. Amy and I are going to be back again on the 28th, two weeks from today, with an episode that features uh, a recurring voice and friend of the pod and a brand new, really exciting guest from outside the Bleeding Disorders community, Amy Board. What's coming up on April 28th? Well... Uh, you set that up really great. And I guess I'll start with the new exciting voice because you might be a little jealous. I got to interview Gunnar Esiason, who is the son of Hall of Famer, footballer, Boomer Esiason. Gunnar um, is living with cystic fibrosis. It's cystic fibrosis month coming up here in May. And so we talked to Gunnar about um, how he kind of became an advocate, uh, what his treatment journey has done for his life, because it has been uh, night and day um, Mm. in terms of the cystic fibrosis community and the work that still needs to be done in that community. So anyway, great interview. Stick around. It's so much fun. And I get to rub it in that I got to interview Gunnar and Patrick didn't. I have so much to say about that, <laughs> but I'm going to save it for the next episode. Okay, great. Who's the other guest? Uh, the other guest is Rich Gorman. Our pal Rich Gorman is back and we're talking about the ethics of gene therapy. Rich, <laughs> as you know, is an ethicist, which Patrick and I kind of... I didn't know you could go to school for that. I didn't know. I think Rich is our only ethicist friend. Correct. Anyway, Rich is back um, to talk about the ethics of gene therapy. Fantastic conversation. So stick around. What a good episode. Yeah, we got a really good one coming up. So reminder, uh, subscribe to this here podcast and share episodes from it as well so that we can reach more people. It's available anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you get really lost and you need to know where to Mm -hmm. go, bloodstreammedia.com has you covered. And as always, we're casting for stuff. Get out of here. Really? We want to hear your stories. We have video. We have audio podcasts. We have all of the things. So if you are interested, if you'd like to share your story, please contact us or contact me, uh, especially on social media. I'm on all of the things. Or you can email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. We'd love to hear your story. With that, that is all for this episode. I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Board. And until next time, take self-care of yourself. Happy World Hemophilia Day. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.